Amen, amen. Good morning, church. Good to see you this morning. As Alan said, my name is Evan McMillan. I'm the student ministry director here. I've been blessed to be in this position for two years. And, you know, as he was saying, you know, this is going to be my last Sunday uh, giving you a message. You know, I, still, I will still be here next Sunday. And, you know, I've got that bittersweet feelings going on right now. But, you know, looking at it, I'm very blessed to be able to just give you the word this morning. And so we are going to be looking, as it says on the screen, how God is the Alpha and the Omega. And as a church, we've been going through this Christmas sermon series, and we've really been looking at some of the names and the attributes and characteristics of Jesus. And so what we're going to see is that he is the Alpha and the Omega. And when I was, when I was doing research and, you know, studying and, and reading the Bible, doing some, reading some commentaries and things like that, I, I really started to notice that names hold great power. You know, we see the names of power, especially we see it at work in the Old Testament and the New Testament where, where the certain people got new names, right? We see Abraham, he, or Abram, was, had a name changed to Abraham because that name now means the father of many nations. Or we see that Simon had a new name, Peter, which means rock, which is someone who can be a dependable, reliable, someone who could be a leader within the early church. And so we have all of these ideas of these transitional names and that, what that means, right? So I was looking and I was reading, I was doing some research and, 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 I, and I found and realized that I kind of somewhat have a name transformation on my own as well. And so something that most of you guys don't know is that my full name is Daniel Evan McMillan. I go by my middle name and honestly, I don't know. Uh, if you want to really figure out the reason behind that, my parents will be in here second service, so you can ask them if they'll give you the real reason. But looking at it, I looked up what, the, what, what Evan means. And so what I looked up is that it says, Evan is a popular Welsh name, meaning the Lord is gracious. I was like, that's pretty good. And it's, Evan is a version of the English name John and the Spanish name Juan, which I had zero idea about. Evan has Hebrew origins as well. The word Evan itself means rock in, in Hebrew. And Evan is a shortened version of the Greek names Evangelos, meaning good messenger, and Evander, meaning good man. And I was like, man, thanks, Mom and Dad. That's actually pretty good. I, I'm not too mad about the name switch anymore, right? But today we are going to continue and see that God has other names. God has different characteristics and attributes for us as well. And we're going to see that God is the Alpha and the Omega. And so as we're heading into this Christmas season, and to me, I'm still kind of trying to wrap my mind around the fact that we're one week away from Christmas Eve. Like that, I feel like it's gone by so fast. But as we're coming into this Christmas season, I'm sure you guys have had this question come up one way or another, whether you've asked it or you've been asked this question, is what do you want for Christmas? You know, when I look at my own Christmas list, I, I have these things, you know, there's, there's these lists of, you know, the, the necessities. You're like, man, I really need these things. And then you have another list, another category of the things that you want. You know, the things you're thinking, you know, hey, this would be super fun if I get, you know, it would be really nice. It's not, I don't have to have it, but, you know, it would be nice to have it, right? And, you know, depending on who you are, you might have way more necessities or you might just have all wants. Who knows? I feel like a lot of students in, our, in, in here probably are teetering more on the other whole list as once, right? But as we're going through this passage today, I want us to really 
ask the question, what do you need? And so as we're going to look, the first idea and the first truth for us to see is that we need to be made new. Church, we need to be made new. So today we're going to be in Revelation 21, as Alan said previously. So if you want to go there, we'll be starting in verse 1. And while you guys are flipping there, I'm going to give you just a little bit of a backstory, a little bit of information um, as you guys are getting there. And so we see that John, the disciple, is the one who wrote Revelation. And we see that he, he wrote other books of the Bible as well. But, we, but there is a, he gets a vision from God near the end of his life, and he writes this down as the book of Revelation. There's a lot of apocalyptic and prophetic writing in the book of Revelation, and we see that actually in Revelation 20, the, ver- the chapter right before, we see that Satan is defeated. And honestly, right there, I could just put a period, like we could just be the end, and we could just praise God right now that, hey, Satan is defeated. We know the victory. We know the end that Jesus holds the victory. And so we can just, that's a message right there in itself. But we know that Jesus wins in the end. And so we're going to move into Revelation, and we actually see it's the start of the end, which is actually the start of the new, as we're going to see. So let's start reading in verse 1. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the earth had passed away. And I saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the former things have passed away. And so the Bible refers to this word new several times. You know, it's a common theme within the Bible, especially in the New Testament. We see that actually the new, the word new is referenced over 40 times in the New Testament. You know, it doesn't include, it doesn't, it's not talking about something that is new in recent times, but it's something that is made, or is something is made new, not newly made, if that makes sense. You know, like there's a difference between saying, I got a new bike, and, you know, something that is fresh, and is original, and is, and is a new transformation, right? Those are two separate things. You know, the same it's this same new that we see in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, where it's a new creation, right? Or we see that there's a new commandment that Jesus gives us. Or even this new covenant in the Lord's Supper, as we're going to look at later today. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis that I think is super um, informative, and I think is a great way of explaining this idea of what new means for us. And so if you want to look, it says, God became man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men of, of the old kind, but produce a new kind of man. It's not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. You see the difference? It's, it's, it's not the same as like a simple uh, like change, right? It's not like taking off a jacket. It's a complete, utter transformation, it's something that is so amazing that we can only give God the praise for. You know, Jesus, he promised that heaven and earth would pass away. And here, we see the fulfillment 
of that promise with a new heaven, a new earth, and even a new Jerusalem. We ourselves will be made new in glory. And so when Jesus makes us new, we see this promise that he will be with us. It describes this as God's dwelling place and that, it will be, that his dwelling place is with man. And we will be with God in this new Jerusalem. I love how the, 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 um, it's described as a holy city uh, that is new Jerusalem. And so I think it's really cool because it's significant. And it's significant because it's a city. And, and if anyone knows anything about a city, right, there's, there's a lot of people in a city. It's, it's really tough to not bump into someone at a city. I saw a video earlier this week, and it was giving a video of just the streets of New York right now. And it was jokingly saying, if you're planning on going to New York for the holidays, don't. <laughs> and it was talking about just how busy it is. And, and in reality, that's what a city is. A city is full of people. And what I think is so amazing about this new Jerusalem is that this city is going to be full of godly people who are all in community together. There's no isolation. There's no separation. We are all living together and giving praise to God. And we get to interact with God in this new Jerusalem as it says, his dwelling place is with man. And so for so many of us, the story of Jesus starts with his birth and ends with Easter. Well, church, this is not the whole story. The greatest good news is not just the forgiveness of sins. Or, you know, the story doesn't just stop with the resurrection or even the ascension. The end of the story is the start of this new. And so my invitation for you this morning is this. Jesus has the power to make you new. Not a hand-me-down, not a washed-up, off-brand, like, not, not anything other but a brand-new, transformed you. One that is majestic and is different. One that reflects God's nature and has joy in your hearts. My invitation is this. Will you let him? And so with Jesus, we are made new, right? But how can Jesus make us and everything new? What do we need? What do we need? As we see, we need to be made new. And the second truth for us this morning is that we need to know that Jesus is God. If you want to follow down to verse 6 and 21, Revelation 21, it says, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Honestly, church, this could be a point for every single message within our Christmas series, right? And in fact, it, it goes so far to say as if you were here last week and you took notes last week, you could flip back because it was the first point of last week's message. And so we see that in Isaiah 9, 6, he's called the mighty God. In Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God. And here, in this passage, we're seeing that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And then next week, we're going to point to the fact that he is Emmanuel, God with us. So, Jesus is God. One thing that I think is interesting, just about the nature of John, the disciple, is that he, like I said earlier, he wrote several books of the Bible. One of the other most predominant books that he wrote that we talk about is the Gospel of John. And in the Gospel of John, in, in John 1, he describes Jesus as the Word. And so let's look at John 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, 
And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then later on, we're going to see, uh, we see in John 1, verse 14, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so this word that it's describing is Jesus. Jesus is God. As explained, this verse, this passage, and several and countless others within the Bible. And so the verse, the Father and the Son, the Son here being the word, right, are equally God yet distinct in persons. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. Yet they are equally God, and with the Holy Spirit lumping in there as well to make one God and three persons. We see here that this passage, when he talks and he says he is the Alpha and the Omega, this is just another claim that shows that Jesus is God. Jesus is referencing this aspect that he was there at the beginning of time, and he will continue to be there at the end. Jesus was there at the beginning, and he's going to be there at the end. He is an active part of creation. He was an active part in the creation story, and he will be continuing to be an active part in creating this new heaven and this new earth. One thing that makes our faith so different than any other faith is that of Jesus, right? We see that almost any other religion will say Jesus was a good man, or maybe even go as far to say that he was a prophet of the Lord. But what we see is that Jesus is God. We, we, we can't deny it. Jesus is God. This is foundational for our Christian belief and our Christian understanding. You know, for us, Jesus has the power to transform us. He has the power to make us new only because he is God. You know, if he wasn't God, then there would be no miracle of the cross, and there would be no power in that. And it would be just as well as if I died on the cross for you. And let me tell you, church, that is not something you want to happen because I'm not a perfect person. That is not something that you would be looking forward to. Jesus here is clearly stating that he is co-eternal with the Father. And so now that we've seen that we need to be made new, and we know that Jesus is the person that makes us new, how do we go about being made new, right? What do we need to do in order to be made new? And so what we're going to see is because Jesus is God, we need to put Jesus first and Jesus last. When I was at Liberty, I took a class. It was called Global Studies. We, we looked at, you know, the, the global culture. We looked at how do we engage with, with people in this world, right? And so there was a lot of really cool things that we did in that class. But one really, th- really cool thing that I will always remember was one, I guess for about a two-week span, we had another professor come in the class. And what she did is she taught from Genesis to Revelation in one span over the course of two weeks. And so she started in Genesis, and she ended in Revelation. And what I thought was so awesome is that each and every piece of the Bible is connected. 
It is all one story that is all about Jesus. And so what I, what I want you guys to see, and she showed this at one point, is this understanding. It's a little hard to see, but bear with me. I'll explain it a little bit, right? So we, we see this arc kind of thing. But under here, this, this line going through is every chapter in the Bible. And every book is alternated between gray and uh, light gray and dark gray with, uh, the, with the Genesis and Matthew starting in white. It's a little hard to tell the difference, differentiation in there as well. But there is something that is so cool about this is that each and every one, it's a little hard to see in the back for the colors, but if you, if you look it up or if you see it, if you come close, you can see that it almost makes a rainbow. And what that is, is each and every single one of these arcs is a cross-reference in the Bible, is, is where the Bible was talking about something else and referencing something else. And the, the color of the bar is, is differentiated between how far away the references are made. And so that's why it makes this rainbow. And church, they counted all of these, which, man, I bet you that took forever. But it is 63,000. 779 cross-references found in the Bible. There's a, uh, I, guess, I guess he's like a philosopher, um, Jordan Peterson. Um, he is someone who is very smart, very analytical, and he's actually, I don't believe he's a Christian, but he uses this a lot to show that he, that he goes, this is the first hyperlinked book, right? It's because the Bible has so many cross-references, it is so hard to deny that this one book is a complete and truthful story. There's a, there's a quote by a man named Alistair Begg, and he gives another piece and understanding to this. He says, we find Christ in all the scriptures. In the Old Testament, he is predicted. In the gospels, he is revealed. In Acts, he is preached. In the epistles, he is explained. And in Revelation, he is expected. I'm going to read that one more time because there's a lot of little things in there. We find Christ in all of the scriptures. In the Old Testament, he is predicted. In the Gospels, he is revealed. In Acts, he is preached. In the epistles, he is explained. And in Revelation, he is expected. Jesus is the story of the Bible. One thing I think is so important for us to look at is when we, we see and understand who the main character of the Bible is. Who is the Bible about? It's not about Paul. It's not about Abraham. But it's about Jesus Christ. He is the main character of the Bible. You know, we look at the scriptures, we see Jesus consistently pointed to. We see in the Old Testament, he was pointed, he was pointed to, he was expected. We see Jesus, they were looking towards Jesus. And in the New Testament, we see him. He's born and he's lived his life, a perfect life, to then die on the cross. And then we see in Revelation, at the end of this story, we're expecting his return. And we're a part of the big story, right? We're living at the very, we're living at the tail end, right? We are waiting for Jesus. We are waiting for his return. Our life is a part of the big story. It's all about Jesus Christ. So often we try and read ourselves into the Bible. We try and make ourselves the main character, right? It's just human nature. 
It's, we want to be the main character. We want to read ourselves like, God, that is, like, we want to be that main person in the Bible. And, and church, I just want you to see that when we realize who Jesus truly is, we can ultimately give him all of the praise. When, that is, when we understand that, man, our life changes. It's not all about us. Jesus was always there and will always be there for us in everything. Last week, we talked about how Jesus was there at the very beginning, and we even talked about how Jesus is God. As I explained earlier, it's a common point, and it's something that is so profound and so good for us to talk about. He was there before creation, before even time began. Jesus was there. This week, we're looking at a glimpse into the future. We're not, we are not, we have not arrived in Revelation yet, but we're looking towards it. It's something that we can look at and prepare for. And we'll talk about how we can kind of prepare for that in just a little bit. Jesus is so active and will be active in the end. What, does he, what do we say he will do? It says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain. For the former things have passed away. You know, our understanding of Jesus goes beyond looking at the past and seeing him being born in a manger or even being, or being nailed to the cross. But we can look to the future. And we have to see him on both ends, the beginning of time and the end. He has to encompass both of our beginnings and our ends as the alpha and the omega. You know, last week, Alan, he talked about the, uh, giving God our first fruits. He talked about how we want to give God our first fruits with our time, our talents, and our treasures. I think that that's such a profound point. And I just want to continue to add on to that because I think that we should be giving Jesus every part of our life. You know, often we put statements like, you know, we want to, we have faith. Is number one, then family, then football. Or, you know, put God first and then everything else, right? The Bible gives us a different vision. He gives it Jesus first, and then that's it. Jesus first, Jesus last. Jesus, period, done. That is the vision that we see in the Bible. All things begin and end with Jesus, not just begin. All of our time, our history, our creation, our life itself begins, ends, and is contained within Jesus. All things must come back to him. In the end, he receives all of our glory. We make this mistake when we list off our priorities, right? We want to make sure that God is number one and is the only thing that comes close to being in that number one position. Nothing else deserves that position. And so Jesus, period. When we get up in the morning, are we spending time with Jesus? We know when we, when we go to bed, are we spending time with Jesus, the beginning and the end of our day? And in the middle throughout the day as well, are we spending time with Jesus? Are we thinking about the things of Jesus as it says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 17, that we want to rejoice always and to pray without ceasing? You know, it does us no good to give God the, our first 10, 20, 30 minutes of the day and then forget about him the rest of the day. Jesus wants our life. 
Jesus wants the beginning, the end, the middle, the whole shebang. Jesus wants it. Jesus wants the first and the last of your life. And so with our student ministry, what I like to do in the, at, the, at the end of our message, I really like to give some level of an application. You know, I think it's important for us to be able to get something at the end, right? And so we have what's called a so what, now what. And so we're going to look at this, you know, there are so what for today is that Jesus can make us new, right? Jesus makes us new. That is our most important information that I want you to get today, is that Jesus makes you new. He's the only person that can make you new. And in a second, in a few minutes, we're going to partake in communion. You know, we ask that whoever partakes in communion to have said yes to Jesus and has let Jesus make you new. Jesus says to us that to the thirsty, he will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And why does this matter to, for you right now to know that Jesus makes us new? Well, we see that in Revelation 21, 5, going back to verse 5, it says, Behold, this is God. He says, I am making all things new. This is a process that is finalized when we get to heaven. But Jesus is still working on your heart and your life right now. There are two steps for us this morning, and this is our now what. Now what do we do? What do we take out of the doors right here? The first step is to continue walking in obedience with the Lord, to continue to walk out your faith, or to live a life that is being made new. We want to live a life that is honoring to God, to continue to walk out our faith, as the Bible says. The second step for you today is, is in my opinion, is, is the most important thing that you could ever do if you, if you haven't done so already. And that is to be made new. Some of you in this room might be sitting here and have never said yes to Jesus and the call for what he has for your life. You might have never said yes to Jesus being your Lord and Savior. Well, I want to give you this option right now, today. With every head bowed and eyes closed, if you guys want to, we're going to pray, and we're going we're gonna to then uh, lead into a time of communion. So if you guys want to bow your heads and close your eyes and as we're going to pray and talk to, talk to the Lord. I want you to really think about your relationship with God. As we look at Revelation, at the end of our earthly life, all of these things are passing away. We just looked at Revelation in the end of our earthly life, we're looking towards this vision, and we see a future with Jesus Christ in the presence of God forever. The Bible states that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, all of our sadness, anxieties, worries, angers, doubts. They will all be wiped away in heaven. However, if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, this is not your future. Your future is an eternity without Jesus. And so this morning, I want to give you the option. I want to give you the ability to have a relationship 
with the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And so if you would like to have a relationship with God, just pray this prayer along with me. And pray, pray, God, I pray that you are Lord over my life. God, I, I recognize that I am a sinful person. God, I, I recognize that I have made mistakes and have parted away from your design. But Jesus, I want you to be made Lord over my life. Jesus, come into my life and transform me. Make me new. God, forgive my sins and lead me in your way. And before we end this prayer, if you, if you just happen to pray that prayer, I would just love if you just raise your hand just so I could know and be worshiping and praising along with you. Thank you. Thank you. So God, we, God, I just pray right now that you are in this place. We thank you that you are. God, as we look towards this idea of communion, we see that even we're celebrating your birth, we know ultimately what your birth represents. Is that you came to this earth to live a perfect life, to then die on the cross for us. So God, we thank you for this time that we can come together. We thank you for your love and we thank you for the cross. And in Jesus' name, amen. And so we are gonna head into this time of communion. And um, when we start singing, we start worshiping, um, there are, there are uh, a station two on, or one on either side, and then stations in the back. And so there are, uh, I want you to get up during this song and go get the elements, and then once we'll come back and partake in communion. And so um, you guys can, can start.
broke bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he, he took the, the drink and the wine and he, and he said, in the cup, and he said, this is my blood that was shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. You guys can be seated, and I'll pray. God, we thank you so much for the cross. God, we thank you for the heart and your love that came down through Jesus to to be shed, to, to be broken for us. God, you are so amazing. We can only give you thanks and praise for the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, church, let's appreciate Evan for sharing the word this morning, bringing that to us.